You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. Welcome to episode 10 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. If you want to get everything your dog's got, then you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance Lineup at Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Dot com. Also check out Dakota 283. If you're looking for your dog's next kennel, then look no further than Dakota 283. From food and watering systems that you can easily transport with you to the hunting field or training field, uh, to the G3 uh, kennels, they have medium, large, extra large. They have a size that'll fit any dog that you have. They have the forever puppy insert. So if you're bringing home a puppy this season, uh, you want just to buy one crate for the rest of that dog's life. This insert can grow with the puppy to make that kennel smaller when they're young and grow and get bigger um, as they need more room. Really cool product. I also want to thank our newest sponsor, Cable Gangs. Check them out, uh, Facebook or Instagram, Cable Gangs, G-A-N-G-Z. Hit up Brennan over there, great guy. My stakeout system, uh, Cable Gang, is on the way, is in the mail. I have a tracking number. I am super excited. Um, I've never had one before. I've seen guys use these. I've heard people talk about them, uh, putting dogs on a uh, a Cable Gang with other dogs. Um, They're going to be learning so much uh, on that system. It is unreal. I've seen my mentor put um, older dogs on the cable gang. Then I've seen him put puppies on there. And just watching him evaluate these puppies as they're interacting and learning the experience um, of being on a a cable with other dogs um, can be really, really valuable lessons for that puppy as they grow um, into and work through uh, neck pressure cues um, and things like that. So they're picking up a lot on these. It's a great way. uh, Give them a bowl of water as you're training. You know, when it's their turn, when it's their uh, their time to be up, put the other dog on, take that puppy off, and you're ready to roll. So, really cool system. I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on my own and, uh, and and give it a try here. So, check them out. Hit Brennan up. Uh, you make uh, orders uh, over Instagram. I, know, I think he takes PayPal, Venmo uh, payments. Um, but here's the catch. Mention the Upland Rookie Podcast to Brennan, and you will get a choice of a free, I think, 24-inch drop, and that's the uh, connection point from the dog to the main line. Or you can get a choice of a free um, blank pistol tether. So a little tether cable that goes from your belt loop to your blank pistol or whatever you might use it for. So again, mention the Upland Rookie Podcast to Brennan when you order, and he will throw in one of those items for you. So check him out. Brennan, thank you again. What is up, rookies? How are you doing today? I am fired up and ready to roll on this episode. Had a hell of a Father's Day weekend. Oh my gosh. I hope you had a great weekend, though. By the way, hope you had a great Father's Day. Um, Hope you just got out and cooked some meat, spent time with your kids, your families, Um, just had a good time. Um, 
Yeah, I do. I, I didn't put much on social media yesterday except uh, my trip to the ER with my son. So you can read all about it on my story. But in short, I was mowing the lawn in the evening and my four-year-old decided to stick his hand under the lawnmower. It was running. I was stopped for a second talking to my wife and stuck his hand under there and chopped up his fingers pretty good. So trip to the ER. Thankfully, it was not worse than it was. A um, couple fractured fingers, bunch of stitches, and he's in a cast right now to keep it from moving. So it's all going to heal properly. <laughs> so that was kind of the not so great highlight of my Father's Day weekend. Um, we got out and trained dogs, uh, him and I in the morning, which was fun. Um, did some other things, went to the pool, stuff like that. So um, all that to say, he's doing very well <laughs> considering what happened. Uh, we can laugh about it now, but it was very scary in the moment. I know a lot of you reached out, so thank you so much. This is kind of becoming a rhythm for us, trips to the ER with our kids. It's just, it is what it is. <laughs> we we don't love it. It's just, I think, the nature of having five active kids, and they're going to get into things, and accidents are going to happen. So anyways, all that to say, I hope your Father's Day was great. Let me know. Write me in. What did you guys do for Father's Day? Sorry, my dogs are going nuts on the side of the house. Um, okay, I have a bunch to get through. Um, I have a crazy busy day here ahead, so I'm gonna knock this out. Episode 10, first off, this is a milestone. Made it 10 episodes. I'm very excited, very pumped. Um, yeah, let's celebrate, I guess. Let's let's have a party for episode 10. Um, no, I thank you guys. Uh, just first off, thank you for staying faithful, tuning in every week, and just the messages you have been writing me. Um, from the beginning, I'll get messages a couple times a week from people um, just sharing their, like, what they're learning from the podcast, um, what they're finding value in. Um, those really, really mean a lot to me. Um, keeps me going, keeps me motivated um, to keep putting out content, keep uh, after uh, finding great guests, uh, crafting good interviews. Um, so I really, really appreciate the encouragement from every person um, that I've heard from. Really, really thank you from the bottom of my heart. So we're going to keep going. Let's do uh, another 10, a 10 after that, 10 after that, and uh, just keep plugging away here. So um, okay, I'm going to get back. Oh, no, 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 no. Listener questions coming up. I promise we're getting back into it. But I wanted to, on this episode 10, maybe every 10 episodes, I'm going to do a little reminder of why this is called the Upland Rookie Podcast and who it is for. So the Upland Rookie Podcast, I, I am not, I'm not brand new. I, you know, I didn't just start yesterday. And I'm also not someone who's been doing it for 10 years, who has all this stored up knowledge and experience. I'm kind of like that in between, like four, almost five years maybe, you know, after this. So I was, I was wanting to create a podcast and I was like, well, looking back on my experience, like taking that, that learner's approach was really helpful for me. I had to ask questions. I had to dive in and um, get to know people, ask these, 
you know, very elementary questions because I didn't know a lot of things. I, I still am learning. Um, and on the other side of that too, like I want this podcast to be for those, um, those guys who are further down the road who kind of like can think back to their rookie experience, how they got started. So these guys, you know, I, I talked to some guys a lot that have been doing this 20 years and they're listening to this podcast every week and like, oh, well, that was you know, a good reminder. Uh, you know, what you talked about or that guest interview brought me back to when I got started or, or whatever it might be. Um, that's kind of that gap I wanted to fill. I wanted to bridge that gap. I, I wanted to connect with the veteran hunters because um, I want to learn from you. I, and I think other listeners want to learn from, from those veteran hunters, um, but also those rookies who are just coming up, who are so excited, um, but just maybe are trying to, you know, get over that hump of, you know, okay, how do I select a bird dog? How do I just get started training or, or get into, how do I know where to go for hunt? You know, so many questions that list is endless on, uh, for rookies and just getting started. So, I. Uh, I hope this podcast can bridge that gap and um, and really speak to those bo- to both of those groups of people. Um, I hope it's doing that. That's my goal. But also on um, being a rookie, I just want to speak to those just getting started because you're new to something, because you're just figuring it out. Maybe you're in it a year or two or three. Don't beat yourself up. Don't think less of yourself because of your limited experience. Um, you may have experiences that are unique to you. Lean into those. You still have knowledge to share with others. So you might be six months into it. You might be a year into it. You know what? There's someone behind you who's a week into it. So lean into what you know already. Don't think less of yourself because, quote unquote, you're a rookie. Um, lean into what you do know. Share it with others if they ask questions. Um, take someone hunting. You know, try Upland. You know, refer back to my Try Upland episode uh, with Will Jenkins. Um, so I just wanted to share a word of encouragement of don't don't think less of yourself because you're new to something. Lean into your own experiences that you have. Um, you know, I'm you know four or so years into it. You know, I'm leaning into my experiences. I've I've learned of you know what I like in a bird dog, what I don't like. I, I'm still figuring that out. I'm still developing that, but I think it's knowledge that I have. And is it perfect? No, but I hope that can um, help steer someone who maybe has questions or, Hey, how do you, what do you look for in, you know, in a dog? Hope maybe I can share some experience on that. Or maybe it's around, you know, gosh, yeah, hunt, you know, hunting a field like, Hey, what's, what's the best way to you know approach this field? I've hunted sharp tail a couple times. I have, you know, limited experience, but lean into that experience and say, Hey, here's what I learned this time I went out. So, uh, sorry, I'm rambling now, but I think you get the, uh, get the idea. Um, lean into what you do know, um, share it with others and be proud of yourself. Be proud of what you've uh, learned so far and um, don't think less of your experience. Okay. Moving on. Sorry. That was long winded. I have a tendency to do that. Okay, listener question. I'm getting back to those. Uh, my golden ember on Instagram. That's an interesting Instagram handle. Well, honestly, all the handles are interesting out there. But uh, okay, thank you for reading this in. Uh, how much do you train and how much is too much? And they also asked another question. Also, the steps of the breaking process. Okay, I am not, I'm going to tackle the first one. The second, the breaking process, I'm actually going through the breaking process right now. 
DIY style. Um, my mentor is kind of walking me through the steps, um, going out to his house every week with Gage. And you know, even Gage is a little, a little on the older side. I want to get him broke. I want to get him totally steady. Um, again, just personal goals. It goes back to what we've talked about just on what are your personal goals for your dog, how you hunt, how you train, if you want to do trials, things like that. So that's what I want to do with Gage. He's walking me through the breaking process. I will get into that much deeper. Um, I might even do a, a whole opening segment on that and just I'll walk you through what I'm learning step by step. Again, I am new to the breaking process. Um, Gage was steady to the flush. And I just want to take it a step further. I don't want him to chase anymore. If I'm hunting with buddies, I don't want to worry about someone shooting my dog. So <laughs> I want to get him steady. So I will get into that a lot more. But the first part of the question, how much do you train and how much is too much? Great question, first off. Um, I I mean, train it. I mean, depending on what you're doing, but train every day if you can. Do something with your dog every day if you can, whether it's fetching, um, exercise, running. I, I I include working your dog like for exercise, a part of training. I think that's going to help them perform better in the season. So um, if I'm talking about like biking my dog, like roading them, I'm, I'm spacing that out pretty strategically. I'm maybe every three days, maybe every four days, depending on how hard or how hot they ran. Um, that's just going to depend on the dog, your terrain, weather, all that kind of stuff. But um, do something. They're always learning. Even... Um, I mean, a simple thing is when you put their food down, you know, woe them or make them wait before you let them attack their food bowl. That's a simple like training. People don't think as training, but your dog's learning to wait for your cue for you to release them um, to go eat their food. So there's little things like you can do every single day. You can build things into your daily habit. Um, Again, uh, force fetching your dog. You can that that needs to be done twice a day what when you're in the process of that um the breaking process my mentor's giving me homework um there's some things i'm doing with the wonder lead twice a day every day um so these aren't long sessions though these aren't you know i'm not spending an hour each time i'm working with my dog it's 10 or 12 minutes max each session when i'm when i'm doing something like that force fetch when i force fetched gauge last summer we were doing two sessions a day um maybe 15 minutes each it depends, maybe plus or minus a few, uh, either end. So it's really going to depend on what you're working on. But I think your dog can learn something every day. Um, again, running and exercise, that's going to depend. If you're running your dog very hard for an hour every day, that's probably not good. You probably need to give them some rest to recuperate, let their, you know, let their bodies recover a little bit. So my experience is work on, work with your dog, something small every day, if you can. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, I guess, short answer to that. So, um, if you have a listener question, please write it into the podcast at the Upland Rookie Podcast on Instagram. I would love to uh, unpack it a little bit more here on the show. And if you need to expand on, like, don't be afraid to write a long message. Um, more context sometimes is better. Helps me understand kind of where you're coming from and what the the question is. Um, okay. I think that is all for now. So again, episode 10, thank you for staying 
faithful to this. Thanks for the encouragement. I'm really excited. This episode is with Andy Taylor of Steel Fork Kennels. Uh, this is where I sent Gunner off to to get trained. Um, just picked him up a couple days ago. So Andy, thank you for your work with Gunner. Amazing. Um, this uh, audio is a little, we were in a very large open room when we, we recorded this. So audio isn't fantastic on the interview. I am sorry for that. Um, I will work on getting that tighter and better in the future. But here's episode 10 with Andy Taylor. Well, no, it's it's simple progress of, okay, this puppy backed that dog, cool. Now let me put him with two dogs. Now let me put him four dogs. And you just slowly upgrade it and upgrade it and upgrade it till eventually it's, you're doing five on five instead of just like one on one and three on three and stuff like that. Sure. Do you believe that, I get questions from people a lot, uh, again, I don't think, these are people probably like me, we're, we don't have that level of knowledge and experience. Uh, do you believe dogs can learn from other dogs when they're out there? Absolutely. Um, they're pack animals. The only time that a dog ever really learns individually is whenever they're kicked out of the pack. Like, mm-hmm. no, you you did something you're not supposed to, you this, that, you got your butt whooped by the alpha and beta. Mm-hmm. Like, you're out of the pack. Good luck going to try to uh, join another pack. Speaking of like wolves, foxes, sure. uh, coyotes, stuff like that. So they learn so much better with somebody else towards like, hey, that's how you do. So like similar with you, you have gauge, you have an idea what a dog's supposed to do based on gauge. Now gauge is going to help you with the puppy gunner and you'll be like, well, that went way easier. One, because you know more about dogs. And two, because he's going to be like, well, if the puppy's messing around, I still know what I need to do. Sure. So the puppy will play grab ass for a little while and follow the leader and whatnot. So usually whenever I'm trying to get a puppy to learn, I'll do it with more than one dog. Because for them to just follow hmm. around a single dog, they're like, okay, I'll just focus on that one. Sure. But if you have two dogs and there's a single puppy, then they'll go chase Gunner around and then say you're hunting with a buddy. Well, uh, Gunner will chase around Gage for a little while and then he'll be like, okay, I can't keep up with Gage. Huh. And then he'll go to your buddy's dog and then he'll try to go back, forth, okay. back, forth. And eventually he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just do my own thing. <laughs> and then by doing that, then they'll find a bird and they're like, I didn't need to follow them around oh, at all. I just kind of need to do my own thing. Yeah. It's like, exactly. They're doing this, you're doing that. So it's... For me, I relate everything to sports. Like, hey, there's going to be somebody who's a center, somebody who's a quarterback, somebody who's a wide receiver, somebody who's a a defensive end, stuff like that. You can't do the game if you just do one deal. There's people who have one dog and can do it. That's great. That's how everybody started. Not everybody started with like, oh, well, I just bought three dogs right away. Yeah, You, You build upon it. You build upon it. You're like, okay, well, I have this one set up. Now let's add that person. Let's add that person. So you'll see whenever you have Gage and Gunner, you'll see how Gage does this, and then you'll see Gunner do the same thing or different. Hmm. And then sometimes it's frustrating because, like, well, I want you to do what Gage does. But then you have to use it as <clears throat> a prime example is I have short hairs and pointers. I think of them as fishing. Whenever I go fishing, I don't have a four rod stamp with all bobbers or all the same hmm. you thing. Have, you have a mix. Like, yeah, I have, I have a power bait, I have a cricket, I have a, a worm, and then I have like a lure. Like sure. something's gonna catch me fish. 
So for me, because I have as many dogs as I have, is if I'm hunting pheasants and cattails and like really thick gnarly stuff, I'm not going to put out my, I do it, but I'm not going to put out my Baymax dog who can run a thousand yards in a blink of an eye and he'll cruise at that speed and distance all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be done. You can pull a rope in, not push a rope out. Sure. So they have to learn, hey, if this is where I need you, this is where I need you, I need you. So my Baymax dog will hunt three, 400 yards. My Sven dog will do 100, 200 yards. And what they're doing is they're sitting there being a team. One of them, whatever Baymax misses, uh, Sven will find. And then vice versa, What's whenever I walk towards a road, but not all the way there, Sven will usually cut short of the road, but the long distance dog will already go to the road, run the ditch, come back, cross the fence, and then whatnot. Sure. So there's good and bads whenever you have two different styles, or, and two different styles could be littermates. It could be completely yeah. different breeds. It could be everything. Or even if they are completely different breeds, they could hunt identical. Sure. There's somebody who has I like- mean, a, dogs, dogs are going to be so individual. I mean, you might have to be from the same litter, but- you're yeah. still going to hunt. You have your so there's people who will have like a Vishla and a Griffin. Something, two things that are completely opposite. But then for whatever reason, they complement each other very well to where, okay, they both go 50, 100 yards. Yeah. Okay, well, now we're going to hunt pheasants. Cool, I need to be 50 yards. Okay, we're going to go up this. Instead of hunting the, the valley, now let's go up on the side hills and we're going to hunt Sharptail. Okay, well, now I need 150, hmm. 200 yards. Sure. Uh, Plus also it's personal preference, like what people are comfortable with. Uh, for me, as long as the dog goes on point, holds point until I can walk up and kick a bird in the butt, do your thing, I'll come find you. So, so do you not, for your personal dogs then, do, are you not really worried about range then? You're kind of, you let them go as far as the dog will go? So modern technology really spoils the heck out of us. Having a GPS to where it, it pings on your, uh, on your Alpha 100 or like on your, Alpha Phoenix watch sure. or something like, oh, a dog's on point over here. To where you can just lollygag and make sure you don't step in a gopher hole or step on a rattlesnake. It, it, it helps a lot, but then it's also doesn't really make, people who are just now starting into it, Yeah. everyone's like, oh man, that's so sweet. Up until two years ago, I only had my regular uh, Garmin Pro 70 to where it's just stimulation and tone. Okay. There's so, no so direction. No G- there's no, no GPS. No. Okay. So like, if a dog went over a hill, like you better, like <laughs> you better you know, know which hill. Yeah, you better know which hill and what direction. And and is that also going to change for species of bird you're hunting? So say someone's only ninety percent of the time hunting roosters. Yeah. Is is that person probably going to want a little closer ranging? Um. Yeah, generally. So there's times where people will just crap themselves because my big running. Baymax dog, I'll go to a wheat field, a cut wheat field, and everyone's like, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> but uh, to give background to the story is there's one of my favorite places to hunt out by uh, eastern Colorado. It's a intersection, and there's a L-shaped shelter belt of cedars and stuff, and in super cold, snowy days, the birds are always in the cedars. Well, you can sometimes pop one or two out of there but they always blow out into one of the surrounding fields. Well, those particular farmers like uh, beans and corn and wheat field. Well, my favorite is whenever they go in the wheat. Well, what's funny about the wheat is it's 
12, 18 inches tall. Sure. And most people are like, there's no way a pheasant can stick in that, especially a wild one. I like to think whenever I'm hunting something is if I have doubt in my mind, most other hunters also have doubt in their mind. Sure. Whether it's cover or distance or whatnot. Like if somebody's like, oh man, that's too far to go to. That's exactly why I want to go Where you should there. go, yeah. Because if somebody else wimped out and didn't go to that spot, that's exactly where birds are going to be because like nobody went there to right. mess up their day. So um, so we, we would push birds out of the cedars into the cut wheat field and they'd be like, man, it'd be like me and one buddy. So it's like, man, how the heck are we going to hunt this? There's only two of us. Like you can't, you can't get 30 people in a line like what they do in sure. the Dakotas or sometimes Kansas and stuff and just, just bulldoze it yeah. with a bunch of people. It's, you have to be ingenious. So for me, I'll take one or two of my big running dogs and I'll cut them loose and man, they'll rip to the end of the section, which the section is uh, 320 acres. And you'll see them go, or no, it's not 320 and something. <laughs> Dad, how many is the section? 320 or 640? 640. What? Is it the section? 640. 640. So this, uh, so yeah, into the section, go on point, or even if they're on the way down there and you'll see a bird pop here, pop there, sure. and a buddy will complain to me. They're like, oh man, all the birds are blowing yeah. out. When it comes to wild birds, everyone's like, you can have 200 birds in the field, all you need to do is kill one bird in a successful day. Sure. Which is a whole nother, <laughs> whole, nother, um, whole nother topic. Well, yeah. Cause I get, got on a preserve that is a whole nother topic. But, uh, but yeah, you can have five, 600 birds in a field. And if you kill one bird, it's a successful day. So the dogs will rip out there and the whole time you're seeing them. And my buddy's like, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, just watch. And essentially my bigger running dogs, they'll run to the end of the field and they'll slowly work their way back. And, in the middle of the field to go on point and you're thinking you're like there's no way so sure enough you go up there and uh, out comes a hen five yards in front of the dogs probably 20 yards in front of you could have smoked it if it was a rooster sure. and they go a little bit further and they go on point and then boom here comes a rooster and you smoke it my buddy goes are you kidding me I'm like you have to imagine whenever somebody else thinks yeah that's not gonna work that's exactly why i'm like is it because they've tried it and it didn't work or mm. because they don't even try it and they're like give it a there's chance. no way yeah so wild birds do some dumb stuff everybody thinks that every single bird wild bird has a phd mm. no there's there's some there's some called survivors it's called survival of the fittest yeah, for there's reason. Be some dumb so ones too. so most of my stuff i'm trying to figure out like okay one of you is going to be dumb enough to listen and like as long as the dog points the wild bird far enough away they're going to be eaten away and they're not going to be like, well, where, where'd everybody else go? Sure. And by that time you get a walk up and spook them and you have a generally easy shot that I usually whiff anyways. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. So you have to be willing to try crazy things like, okay, instead of me blocking, okay, I'm going to let my dog run to the end of the field. Yeah. Yes, they're going to blow out a few birds, but you have to there's, imagine... There's going to be that one bird or There's going to be a birds. couple birds that stick, yeah. especially... I've noticed, I've noticed that. With roosters especially, there's the same exact thing you're talking about. A bunch of roosters, hens, they all fly out, and you kind of get... This, I get discouraged. I'm like, oh, shit. But then, dog goes on point, you're like, well, it's probably a false point, probably just old scent. But sure enough, there's an old rooster sitting there, holding tight. And then that's the thing is, the bird you kill, sometimes it's, it's that year's hatch, it's something silly... Like you're not expecting it to be 
it's like okay if I if I if there's a bird here it's gonna be like this year's hatch it's still gonna have milk on sure. its mouth it's like it's it's a baby exactly. it's like no wonder you let this work but every once in a while you'll kill a big bird and you're like that worked like, how, that's did amazing. That, how did that happen so that's awesome especially when it comes to so when it comes to pheasants I get to hunt quite a bit of private land but for all the other species that I've hunted have been on public ground yeah that's awesome so you have to think like if i was somebody else what would they try yeah. oh well they're gonna do this and you do that so whenever you're hunting public ground you have to think outside the box like okay everybody else hunted it this way yeah what is somebody how, how can i do this differently how can i do this differently for the same piece of property so that's the thing is like people always talk about like oh i just pulled up to a field and somebody was hunting it and i was waiting for them to leave they walk out and as soon as we walk in there ta-da there's birds huh and the reason why that is is because people people will hunt a field one time and they don't think like okay I, if i made a loop around the outside the perimeter i never went through the middle or okay i want the wind in my face but not every time can you hunt sure. with the wind in your face like sometimes you have to have it at your back yeah. or uh perpendicular to you and all this other stuff like you have to be willing to hunt some crazy stuff hmm. and your dog can't have every single thing perfect for them they have to that's a really good point i was just going to ask you on scenting conditions are so are you you're not every time going to get the wind perfect oh, no. I mean, no one's ever going to get it perfect so are you willing to something looks good something looks a little different people you think maybe not have tried it are you going to send your dogs in there and, and give it a shot oh yeah okay. so heck you can start into a field uh wild bird hunting preserve hunting whatever and say you see a bird get up or you know generally where some birds are you're like okay the wind if i go this way and take a hard right like the wind's going to be mm. perfectly in my face it should be the bird should be right in our lap yada yada and three quarters away the there all of a sudden the wind changes <laughs> like you better be able to be like okay if that happens should i still go in there because you have to imagine if you go into a spot and the wind's in your face at first and all of a sudden the wind changes mm -hmm. and now the wind's at your back it makes it a little bit more difficult, but then it also sometimes helps. Instead of the dog pointing the bird into the wind, which we're all heading into the wind, sure. the bird is gonna escape out, into headed into the wind. Yeah. Whereas if the wind is at my back and the dog has to hunt and then is gonna point the bird at me, yeah. it just pinned the bird between me and it. Sure. So sometimes you get closer shots because the dog is here, the, the bird's gonna here, feel. And it's every step it's sitting there it's like do i go left yeah. do i go right do i go up yeah. and it's sitting there going and every step you can gain towards it you're gonna get a little closer your, every step your percentage goes up and up and up so um plus also everybody thinks i shoot 28 gauge because i'm a good shot i shoot 28 gauge because i like carrying a light gun <laughs> and i don't shoot much yeah. so but i'm confident enough with my shooting skill and the ammo that I'm shooting sure. to where I can do what I need. So to be able to do that, I'm also very picky about my shots is you're not going to take a, I'm not taking hell Mary's. Yeah. I'm taking you're gonna be a smart 40 yard it. shot. And yeah. that's with like premium ammo, nickel plated sixes, sure. five, something like that. Like I'm, I'm throwing some heat. Yeah. Uh, but also because I'm shooting 28 gauge is if I need to do a crack shot at 20 yards, if you do a, 20 yard shot with a modified choke out of a 12 gauge like you're you're gonna eat some yeah. feathery hamburger oh, yeah. so it's one of those things to where 
I like having more than I need and being able to like, okay, well that's too close, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, pop. Same with the dog. I like big running dogs where if I need to, I can handle them in closer. A car that goes 200 miles an hour can still drive 10 miles an hour through uh, a uh, school zone. Whereas a, a moped can do 30, you're gonna, I mean, you're <laughs> gonna redline the sucker to do 35. Right. So it's one of those things to where you can always tone it down, but if you need the horsepower and go, it it's there. Yeah. So, um, so range and scenting, plus also you have to be, nine times out of 10, your dog isn't going to screw you to screw you. It's because it's an honest mistake. Um, except for my dog, he's a jerk. <laughs> the, but most times, whenever a dog makes a mistake, it's because it's an honest mistake. Yeah. They want the bird as bad or more than you do. So you have to give them the benefit of the doubt unless you know for sure to where it's like, no, you you should have held point. You went bulldozing in there. It's Unless it's a cripple from somebody else the day before, yeah. a couple hours before, like there's no reason why you should be rushing in there. Sure. So that's 100% your fault. But then, so like, People would be like, oh, my dog just went through there and blew up birds. If you just took a five-hour five ride to your hunting destination, or even for you, from where you live in Denver mm -hmm. to the northwest corner of Colorado to go bird hunting, that's two, three hours. Yeah. If you're expecting to go to your like honey hole of a field and then Gage and soon Gunner go blowing through there and blow up all the birds, it's hard to blame them because they've been cooped up for three hours. Sure. So what I usually do is like, okay, I'll go hit a field that usually has like a couple birds. It's not like my honey oh, hole. Oh, so you're kind of using like a little little practice field to let them burn a little. I call it recess. So okay. it's like, okay, before they have, you take 20, 30 first and second graders who've just been riding on the bus for sure. an hour. And then let them out. And that. let them out. They're, they're going to be all hopped up on oh, yeah. Capri Suns and sure. granola bars. Yeah. So you have to... You have to think about like, okay, you're cooped up. I'm cooped up. I need the stretch. Yeah. Uh, like, get my legs a little bit fresh. It's gonna be a long day. Uh, hopefully not. You hit the first field. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you limit out you know, pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. What am I gonna do the rest of the day? Yeah. So, um, usually what I'll do is I'll I'll stop at one of the fields and okay, I, the birds where I'm going is another mile mm -hmm. like there still could be birds right here sure. but you're using the burner we need field. to do it here yeah so it's like okay run around piss crap here uh play grab ass with one another kind of get the jitters out and then once you kind of see them go from a sprint to kind of a pace yeah. then it's like okay now they're working now you're actually working now you're using your nose instead of sprinting past and like oh there's a bird and just keep going <laughs> keep going that's a so, really good point that's a really so good point. it's one of those things to where uh you have to think like, when a dog goes through there, is it your fault? Is it yep. their fault? Is it an honest mistake? Or did they really try to bend you over a barrel and screw you? Sure. So it just depends on the thing. Yeah. But yeah, nine times out of 10, you have to give the dog the benefit of the doubt. Another thing that I do training wise is, there's people who bust my chops whenever I take a photo of a dog 50 yards from the truck on point hmm. while I'm training in my prairie fields and CRP and ag fields. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? Because exactly what we said, whenever I go hunting, whether I'm leaving the truck or coming back to truck, mm. 
The fat lady didn't sing until you're in the box in the back of the truck. Because there's times where you just load the, load the, yeah. you get the dog out, you don't have, <laughs> this takes a lot of mistakes. You get the gun out first, then you unload the dog, not unload yeah. the dog, then get the gun because sure. then they're on point or something's happening. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, you're scrambling and you're like, oh crap, they already found birds. So, but all of us have learned because of mistakes. For me, it's constant mistakes. So you have to do this, you have to do that. So for me, putting birds close to the truck, it means as soon as you leave the truck, you better be ready for it. Uh. Whether you're walking from me to the bear, which is seven yards away, um, or whatever. Or if you're coming back to the truck from a long day, it's funny to where it's like, man, I've hunted this whole field where should be birds. And voila, there could 100 be, yards there could, from yeah, the truck. There could be one right there. You just pushed them all towards the truck because... Yeah. Heck, that was an hour ago that you left the field, and the only place to go is right by the truck. Yeah. So, the more you hunt, the more crazy stuff happens. Oh. Where talking about birds, um, you mentioned this a little bit about you know dogs seeing birds, birds holding tight. Um, you and I actually talked about this online a couple months ago, maybe. Um, a lot of pictures you'll take. I mean, there's birds, you know, visibly standing. You got quail, you got pigeons standing. Um, you got you got dogs on point. You're what you I really liked our conversation on you kind of told me Explain it a little bit from your point of view on the benefit of, of a dog actually getting to see a bird and kind of how tempting that is for them So what's funny is everybody thinks that I teach a dog to sight point. No, like Only for dogs at trial like okay if you go running by and you need to like look up and see like oh well, There's a bird. That's just an idiot standing in the open. No a hunting dog should point first, look second. So whenever I'm guiding, whenever I take buddies wild bird hunting, they're like, well, how does a dog work? A dog works is 95% smell, 5% sight. So you'll see them go on point and then you'll see their eyes scan. Mm. Like, okay, I smell it here, but I don't see it. Which in really good, in good cover, they, they shouldn't. Uh, wild birds can do some dumb stuff. I've had a rooster 10 yards from the truck where I parked in, uh, in the corner of a cut wheat field that was uh, the little goofy corners uh, were cut wheat and then in the center of the pivot was cut corn and we just pull in the thing and I'm getting my gun ready and I'm uh, getting another box of shells which I don't want to talk about <laughs> is uh, loading up and my buddy goes your dog's on point I was like what? And I was like, where? And I'm like leaning around the, like if this is the truck, yeah. I'm in the back of it, like where? And about where the door right there is, is where the dog's on point. I'm like, you're kidding me. And we go walk up there and like two foot in front of his nose, there's a rooster just pancaked out. And with both of us who are <laughs> usually decent shots, we did not cut a single feather on oh that bird. Oh my gosh. And this bird, and what it did is whenever it jumped up, it went right back towards the truck but it hooked hard enough and it just skimmed the yeah. wheat. We shot two shots for me, three shots for him. It's probably <laughs> still alive. But, uh, but the purpose of it is, is whenever I take those photos, is the dog has to f smell the bird first. Yeah. And what I do is I walk the bird out, like show them, and then they're like, oh, holy cow, like I, would, I, I smelt that and now I see what I smell. And so sure. then just be like, well, I smell it, but where the heck is it? Yeah. So. The more you do training and even wild bird hunting, sometimes you can pay attention to it. You'll see them point and they'll be staring at a bush. Like that better be yeah. the bush you check first. Yeah. Cause they're like either 
they smell it here and they saw something wiggle or they actually saw the bird move. Yeah. Because there are certain species to where the cover is a little bit more wide open to where you can see that happen. Uh, people talk about it happening with chucker because they jump from rock to rock. Well, whenever a dog hits first scent and freezes, especially the coloration of the dog, sometimes the dog, the bird is just sitting there like looking around like, <laughs> I heard something, but yeah. I don't see it. Yeah. And, uh, and if the cover hides them, if the dog is motionless, the bird doesn't even realize it. And that's got to take a lot of patience from a bird dog. When you see your bird that you're pointing, I mean, however many yards in front of you, that's got to take a lot of patience on them. So from a training aspect, I, I think that's pretty, pretty so, badass. So for a dog to stay, be able to with supervision, you should do that without supervision. Yeah. So you have to imagine a dog, if a dog goes on point 100, 200,000 yards away, in that distance that it takes you to walk up, what happened? Did the dog slam on point at first scent and then see the bird move? And then is the bird right there motionless or did it see the bird walk away? Or sometimes, which is super rare, but it does happen, is the bird actually comes towards the dog or becomes more visible. Like uh, I posted a photo the other day to where a scale quill did it for me with a, a couple of friends of mine to where we were, we were hunting and the bird just we suit what it was is we were headed towards a stock tank to let the dogs jump in and take a drink and there must have been where the overflow is on the stock tank the birds must have been right there getting a drink in the like cattle uh footprints yeah and the birds flew off and we're watching them and they f head towards the choya uh cactus and as soon as they do one of them stays on top and i'm like oh well surely it's gonna dive in no it stood there forever and the whole time we're sitting there watching and we're like is it gonna just stay up on top? Yeah. And sure enough, the way that this particular choya was, the way this particular choya was, there's a dog on point, and there's the bird just oh, sticking no on top. Wow. And if you look, oh, that's so there's cool. one here, there's one right here, yep. there's a couple more, and then there's the one on top. And whenever I took the photo, I was like from here to the door we came through outside, so probably 15, 20 yards. And I'm sitting there taking photos, and as soon as I put my camera away, and we were all in a line, there's four of us, we start walking, and like four more birds, so there's five birds standing on top, no just visible. And the dogs smelled it forever away, and all of us were like, have you ever seen something like that? And I've only seen it twice. Wow. Twice exactly like that. Um, a couple times where a dog's on point, and then you see the bird just walking out, like, well, I heard something around here, but now I don't see it. Sure. So super duper rare but they should be able to hold it and that's just me walking up and seeing it within 20 yards yeah you have to imagine whenever your dog first goes on point pheasants hardly ever just because the cover that they like is stupid thick uh but some birds like desert birds uh gambles uh scaled quail uh merns can do it a little bit okay. uh i've heard people doing that chucker because they bounce from rock sure, to rock sure um but no it's just one of those things to where if they can handle that, they can pretty they much handle be able anything. To, yeah, anything. I think that's which is my awesome. perspective on that. To where, no, they should sight point or sight point. They should be able to scent point first, right. and then I show them the prize. Yeah, and then and then be able. What to I do is still. I walk it towards them, towards like okay, you can handle it ten yards. Now I'm gonna go to five yards. Yeah. Now I'm gonna go to 
five feet. Now I'm going to go to five inches <laughs> and they better hold it because it's like, That's so no matter tempting. what happens, yeah. exactly. You want to tempt them. You can't, there's the way you can get a dog to be better is you try to get them to screw up. Hmm. Like, Hey, here you go. Try to kick that bird's yeah. ass. You've been trusted so, with a little. Now I'm going to trust you with a lot. Yeah. And especially if, if a dog can't hold point at a hundred yards, you're going to come to 10 feet. Sure. If you can't come to 10 feet, well, I'm going to walk you next to me till we're going to start at the basics again. So you have to, to get better at the hard stuff, you have to practice hard stuff. You can't set up easy situations and be like, oh, well, that was easy. Wait, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. No, they need to be able to see hard stuff and then they can handle anything. Sure. Everyone always worries. The biggest thing is everyone's like, oh, well, I need to gun break this dog. My training process is sometimes A is A and sometimes A is Z. <laughs> it just depends on what the dog shows. Where me. the dog's at. If, if I take Gunner and he's just out the box or just a wild crazy dog, okay, sweet. I can probably do gun training pretty soon. Whereas if he's more reserved, it's like, okay, I'm going to need you to maul a couple birds and build you up to that point yeah. to where whenever I shoot, you give... Don't give two craps about that. Well, he will maul birds, trust me. So that's perfect. <laughs> Good luck getting him out of his mouth. <laughs> so that's the thing is, it's better, and once again, it's better to pull a rope in than push a rope out. I'd rather him be freaking crazy. Sure. Like he just drank a case of Red Bull and <laughs> spent a night in Vegas doing god awful things. <laughs> I'd rather him be crazy than yeah. like, okay, like go go be crazy. Sure. So it's it's easier for me to be like, hey, calm down yeah they're like okay go go mess like, it up go go, kill go, be, it. go be crazy yeah so um so for me my training style is when i give you something what do you show me oh you're gonna be crazy about it cool i can gun break you in the next two days mm. plus also by doing gun breaking pretty early then i can tell you like okay the hardest part we did mm -hmm. now everything else should be pretty gravy sure otherwise if there's a problem in gun breaking that I know within the first month and it's like, okay, you're not telling me something because how they, sh what I've given them, they should be doing this. Yeah. Well, we did take them to the shooter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Or we, we bang pots and pans when they're eating, which works out for some people. I would not re recommend it to my worst enemy. <laughs> so no, you're train a good trainer should be able to figure out a dog and then be able to come to you like, you told me this, tell me the real story. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, I did. No. That's why whenever I tell people, when I sell them a dog, whenever they get a puppy, like, hey, Andy, I just got my first uh, setter. What should I do? Let them be as crazy as possible. Uh, make sure they know their name and recall. Hmm. Let me do the gun breaking. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to be quiet I've, around I've them. I've heard gun breaking has been... Uh, can be awful. I mean, can, well, that can be really hard to reverse. So right? what, that is... So you can have the best dog in the world. So like for me, the youngest dog I have ever trained, like completely trained, done, could do anything I wanted in the world, which when she, when she was six months, so I had her done at five months and 15 days old. She could point, she was steady wing shot fall at five months, 15 Jesus. days old. And, but there was problems that arose later because I did stuff too early, which oh. is a whole nother topic. Okay. But what it is, is, um, I can get an eight-week gold puppy to point a live bird. I do it all the time whenever I take photos before I sell them and whatnot. But I need a dog to chase a bird 
balls to wall so then I can shoot. Well, mm. if I have them too steady before shooting, then I shoot and they're gonna be like, oh. they're gonna come right out of their skin. So you have to give and take. I'd rather them be crazy there and then pull them back later. Like, okay, yeah. you're, you're chasing it and we're gun broke. Now I'm not gonna let you catch a bird. You need to point it and everything else. And then whenever I shoot, you'll see where I'm connecting different dots. I'm connecting part uh, step one to two to three to four to, to voila, we have a complete dog. Sure. So, so yeah, I jump around sometimes depending on what the dog shows me. Like, okay, you're you're steady, but yet you're not. I haven't gun broke you. Gotcha. So sometimes, sometimes dogs are too steady before they gun break. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care about your steadiness. We're gonna, right we're gonna check I, gun breaking first, and then we'll go back to. Yeah. So I want you to break point. I want you to chase that bird and ball it. I want you. So then I can shoot to where you're not right next to me. Gotcha looking at me for direction instead of looking at the bird chasing it and then you can work back and whatnot okay i was gonna, so i was going to ask you like what is your uh, again i know every dog's so different and unique and they're they're coming from different you know uh, who knows their background do you have a kind of a, a standard like uh process you like to like work through with a dog like, let's take gunner for example a 10 11 month old old dog he's had a little bit of bird introduction, a little bit of like blank pistols. Like what's kind of your idea going forward with him in the next two months? So what I'll do is the next two, three days, he just got dropped off this morning. The next two, three days is just getting associated with the kennels, the other dogs and me to where, cause what I could do is I could take him right out right now. And since he's never known me, he'll just go running like crazy and not listen to me because he doesn't know sure. who the heck I am. He's only known me for an hour. Sure. So he's gonna throw up both middle fingers and just keep doing whatever he wants, looking for you. So you might be headed back to Denver, which is two hours away, and I'm gonna call you like, dude, I already lost him. You're like, I just dropped him off. Right, right. So I let them get acclimated to me, the kennels, uh, the other dogs, everything around him, and the sights and smells and noises to where he's like, oh, okay, this is my this, this is, is where, my home right now. This is where Will dropped me off. This is probably a good spot because he put me here instead of me getting in trouble. And this is where I got like the pound or something. So um, then I start doing woe training for the next like week, two weeks, depending on what I need to do. Once again, it depends on where he's at with his woe. If I have him too good on woe, then he's not going to chase when I need him to chase. So I'll do a little bit, then I'll do something, then I'll go back to woe. So I hop around a lot depending on what I give them and what they show me in return. If they're not doing what I want, then we stay at the step we're at or we'll actually go to the beginning. So, so that's the thing is there's a lot of times where people are like, hey, I want, so like with you, you're like, hey, I want a dog ready for hunting. I need, what can I expect? Well, two to three months. So I'd rather you bank on three months and only need two than me telling you two and we're needing five because of, well, whenever you did the blank pistol, it actually screwed him up and now I'm having to take double what it would normally be. Sure. So it just depends on what he shows me and whatnot. But that's also where I take videos. I take uh, videos on my phone. I take videos on my GoPro uh, pictures and then also kind of like we were talking about the dog food things. Like by the time I need dog food, you come down, bring me more dog food. You can see Check the next, in, see like, hey, in. sweet, that that's an improvement. It sometimes it's a slight improvement. Sometimes it's a like, holy cow, like, where's that dog been? Like, they actually listen. That's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, so it just depends on everything I give them and whatnot. Then, as I do it, the first month is 
So you dropped him off today. About a month from now, I hope to have him good enough to where he goes on point. I can walk around in front, kick the bird in the butt, flush it, kill it. Ideally, he retrieves it to hand naturally. If that is usually like my milestone, mm-hmm. if it takes me five weeks instead of four weeks, we're behind schedule. Okay. If I'm at, if I did it at three weeks instead of four weeks, we're ahead of schedule. And then, and then we kind of based off that, like, okay, well, what do I need to do? I need to let him maul some more birds. I need him to do this. I need to do that. And then we can start diversifying it. So if he's right on schedule or ahead of schedule at three, four weeks, sweet. Then it's doing the reps that you and I are expecting out of him three to five times every single day. So whenever you take him home, no, you don't. Yeah, you're good. Um, All right. I want want to respect your time, but I do have a couple more questions here I'd love to get to. Um, when, um, I, I sourced a couple questions online. I'm like, Hey, like if you sat down with a trainer, like what's something you ask them? Um, an overwhelming amount was bird introduction for a puppy. Um, just tell me from your point of view, like how is bird introduction done right? So too many people think that if your dog doesn't plant a bird early, it's a dud. Like chalk it up, call it, sell it, send it, send it down the road. My Sven dog, I actually sold him at 10 months old because I, he didn't range far enough. His tail was real ugly and it wasn't <laughs> high, which I planned on doing hunt tests and trials, which you can have, his mother was a great, probably the best dog I've ever had, but her tail was really low. And even though she could find more birds than everybody else, she'd get docked so much. Wow. So she'd get like a 70, maybe on a good day, because she'd get tail. like an 80 Jeez. because of her tail. And her retrieves were phenomenal. So 99 times out of 100, her retrieve scores were better than her find scores. Hmm. But the good part was, is her being a meat dog, that dog could find freaking birds. Hmm. So you could have a bunch of 80s and 90s, three of them, and this dog would put up six 70s. Well, I'm still gonna kick your butt. Sure. So uh, it's one of those things to where whenever I bred him, I was like, ah, well, I kept your sister. Your sister's phenomenal. Cool, I'll just sell you. So I sold him to a guy in March, and then not until that following year, like a full six, eight months later, did I see him. Completely different dog. Like this dog had a motor. He hmm. he didn't. He was ranging past 75 yards. Every time we went on point, his tail was like hmm. 90 degrees, 75 degrees, like just gorgeous. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I knew I was gonna regret that, but not that much. <laughs> So he was such a bonehead, and uh, long story short, he was such a bonehead. The guy, too much dog for him. I bought him back, and now he's my two-time national champion, senior hunter, eleven species of wild birds, uh, twenty or eleven species of upland birds, and fourteen species of waterfowl. Wow! So even I have had to eat crow whenever a dog is a slow developer. Okay. But then at the same time, just because your dog is the go-getter and first out of the kennel and a whelping box and first out of the whelping box and first to do this and that doesn't mean that's going to be the best. It's not the end-all be-all. Bingo. So don't think whenever you put a bird out at eight weeks old, at eight months old, or even at, for dogs that get like a late start, two years old, don't be like, oh, well, it's a dud. Hmm. The oldest dog I've trained is, was like two months before it turned seven. And the dude was like, I spent so much at uh, his breeder, which was a point in lab, and the dude didn't do much. 
And he's like, so I've, I've spent a, a gob of money for the dog not to do much. So you're kind of my uh, last hope. I was like, well, no pressure. I was like, but understand, somebody's already, he's older. Somebody's already, two other trainers have already tried to deal with him. I was like, sure. so, I mean, you're kind of giving me a huge uphill battle. Yeah. And now he's phenomenal, actually. Yeah. Okay. So, so don't let's say, think. Yeah, let's say someone's picking up a pup this, this summer, this fall. Like what, like what, what's something you would tell them to do or not to do with that puppy? So with if, bird introduction? if you do bird introduction, if you do bird introduction, don't do a pheasant. A pheasant hat is armed for the kill. It has spurs. Work up to pheasants. Even a chucker for some dogs is overkill. Do a pigeon, do a quail. It's it's bite size, which is good and bad. It's small enough for any dog, anywhere from a, a cocker or a, a Brittany, sure. 30 pounds, sure. up to a Drothar that's 100 pounds, 90 pounds, or a lab that's like 120. Uh, Anybody can do it. Whereas a, if you put too young of a dog on, or too reserved of a dog on a rooster, and it just whoops them, they're like, nope. It could have the experience. best. It could be Michael Jordan's kid, and if somebody took, it could be Michael Jordan's kid, and if somebody took a basketball and used it as a dodgeball <laughs> and smoked him in the face, he's like, screw basketball. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. It's no different. So I try to do as gentle as possible, give them this, Cool, a little bit baby step. And as soon as like all of a sudden their ass is on fire, it's like bingo, now we're ready to party. Yeah. So don't, you said it perfectly. It's not the end all be all, be patient. So uh, the biggest rules for bird dogs is trust them and be patient. Once again, they're not going to screw you over purposely. Sure. They're not gonna be like, ah, he's 200 yards back there. Screw that guy, I'll just do it myself. Generally not. Do they do that? Yes, but generally not. Especially if you keep them disciplined, they're like, they have to learn that they're not allowed to bust the bird until I get there because this is a partnership. You find the birds, I kill the birds, you bring it to me, I love on you. We sleep on the couch later with a bear in our hand watching uh, Wheel of Fortune. Like, cool, whatever. Uh, I mean, it's, if it's early, hey, you still get to watch Wheel of Fortune in the morning. Right. Uh, but it just depends on what. If, if your dog doesn't point a bird out the gate or for the flu I know we've been talking a lot about the uh, pointing dogs, but even a flushing sure. dog, yeah. if they don't just go bulldozing up there and just maul the heck out of it and chase the bird till for a mile, it's not like, well, this one sucks. Like, let me buy a different sure. one. Let me give this to my neighbor or something. It's, not, it's like smoking a pork butt. It's like low and slow. Low and slow. Low take and it slow. easy. Uh, the more patient you are, the more you take your time, and then you can get better and better. Uh, to be heavy-handed gets quick results. To be patient gets better results. Okay, that's good. So, similar to what you're saying, you could cook a pork butt and just crank it up on <laughs> broiler. Like, cool, I I seared the outside, yeah, but then quick. you're raw on yeah. the inside. Yeah. Which for pork, like you're gonna have that's, some that's a, salmonella. That's a terrible some, idea. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're gonna have some, man, you're gonna have rot gut for yeah. weeks, days, <laughs> years, whatever. So. Whereas if you take your time and slowly figure out the process, like, okay, I did 225 for this, for cooking, I did that, blah, blah, blah. Then you learn each time. It's like, okay, now I know how to, if I bump it up 10 degrees here and I do this, that, then you can do it a little bit better and kind of perfect your process. 
But uh, even me, I keep a lot of littermates or I buy a lot of littermates. Genetically identical. Their exposure is generally identical. Can have two completely different ones. You can have a rock star, which was Sven's sister, straight out the box. And then you can have Sven, who's dopey and kind of goofy, <laughs> whatnot. Now, they're almost identical in exposure and experience. But how they came out the gate was completely different. So be patient. Don't think like, oh, well, my my wife and I, now I'm screwed with this dog because my wife is in love with Attached it. And this, it. Sure. this sucker's a dud. I was going to say, and we're talking about bird introductions. I think this can go for just your puppy in general. Like, enjoy them as a puppy. Like, they will develop yeah. eventually. So, like, even on the, like, a lot of people ask, like, they ask me, like, hey, what, about, like what about commands and hand signals and blah, 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 blah. Like that's all good, but I think what you're trying to say is, is like all that can be developed and worked on. It doesn't have to be done by so same three months. Bingo. So for like me, a lot of people teach sit, stay down, whatnot. That's good. The problem when it comes to me is whenever I go to teach woe, sit means stop where you yeah. are, put your butt down. Woe means stop where you are, stand there. Don't move. Well, they're like, oh, I know this command. You're just saying it wrong. Yeah. And then they'll sit their butt. So then I have to pick their butt back up. Sure. And so it's not impossible, which most of the time I tell my clients, I'm like, hey, let me do the bird work stuff uh, and teach woe. And then once I teach woe, then you can teach them sit. If you teach sit, it, it's not, once again, it's not the end not all be all, but it's, it just makes it, instead of it taking me a week to train woe, now it's going to take me two weeks or if it takes me two weeks now it's gonna take me three weeks because like okay well you're doing it correctly but with your butt on the ground sure so as they get a little bit more older then you can teach them more commands like okay here's here's whoa here's heel here's uh sit here's down here's here's uh up here's all these different things and as they get something down pat you don't want to teach them 10 commands they and they don't know understand any of them. Yeah, you want to teach them Stick to the basic. Like, like teach I, them three with my things. dogs, I'm like like here, kennel, and I started clicker training with Woe when they were when they were young. Yep. Just stand there. So and that's it. So once they have stuff down, then you can add another one. Have the fourth one down. Add another one. And uh, have another one. Yep. Or have those build, down. Build start upon building. It. Yeah. So same with your kids. You can't. You do ABC with your uh, with your little ones. Yeah. We're both dads. You did ABC, and once you get those, cool. Now let's do... Yeah. Uh, Don't go right from A to Z. And they're like, <laughs> wait, it goes 20-some letters? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So do it as a process, and the result is much faster. Uh, in, or not much faster. It's much more smooth and better results. Yeah. Awesome, Andy. So what other questions? Um, so I actually, I want to... Um, those, yeah, those are the big ones. I want to end. I've been doing a rapid fire session at the end, so there's a couple, couple quick questions for you. Just brief answers, and we'll get to know a little bit more of you. So I know you run uh, English pointers and GSPs. Which is your favorite? So if it wasn't for my Baymax dog, I would usually say short hairs. Short hairs are really good to learn on the fly. Okay. Like there's times where I will take one of my young dogs, who you see where I live. There's, there's not water unless you make water. <laughs> sure. Like unless you pump it out of the ground or like dig a hole for it to settle in, yeah. uh, for a mud hole, there's not water. Yeah. So there's times where I've been hunting, uh, quail and all of a sudden in the middle of a, in the desert, all of a sudden there's a pond and I have my waterfowl license and there's ducks and on the fly I can shoot a duck and then voila, they'll go after it. Yeah. 
and then go to the very next pond and they'll do it like they've done it a hundred times. I would not recommend that every time, sure. but not oh, saying you say a little more versatile than yes, the pointers. Yes, they're a little bit more versatile. Well, generally they're they're bred to be more versatile. Sure. Pointers can be, but on the fly they work. They learn so easy. Mm. Granted, I have much more experience with of the like 150, 160 dogs that I've trained solo in uh, eight nine years. They are, I'd say over. 60%, 70% has been short hairs. Okay. So I have much more of an example in... Uh, with that breed. With that breed. So I'm not saying can't be done with uh, pointers, can't be done with setters, can't be done with uh, Britneys or anybody else. Sure. Just generally, they're very good towards like, hey, let me teach you something real quick. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> cool, let's I got do it. it. <laughs> let's so, go for it. Um, so no, if it wasn't for Baymax, Baymax has been an exception. That dog... So pointers aren't known for liking water. They're they're not known for liking water, and they're not known for being very good retrievers. Retrievers. That dog is phenomenal at both. Okay. If every pointer was the way that Baymax was, I would have entirely pointers. But But the bad part is a special (laughs) special one. But the bad part about pointers is that big old gorgeous tail is also a pain in the butt in the house because uh, it knocks over was, your drink, the coffee table, this, this yeah. and that. Yeah. So we, uh, my mentor, he, we would always talk that the perfect dog would be a pointer with a short hair tail. And we're like, well, how does that work? Yeah. It's to where you could like twist it off. And in the house, it was a short hair, but back as soon on, as you went hunting, you, you twisted it right back There on. you go, that's awesome. Um, my next question was how many uh, dog breeds have you personally trained? It sounds like 160? So 160 100, dogs? 160-ish dogs in nine years. Okay. And then whenever I trained for a pro, there was four of us training. I helped Mark Pace Jr., the son, uh, do the intro work stuff and then uh mark pace senior and our friend gary would do the like finishing work okay so i not until much later did i learn the finishing stuff on my own but i did i learned a lot of hands-on about the beginning steps okay and the importance of the foundation yeah that's huge you can't you can't run if you can't crawl if you can't walk so and if you do then something's gonna happen when you fall how the heck are you gonna get back up to run? So, uh, so yeah, foundation is important. But breed-wise, I'm training more, more and more breeds. Last year was the first time that I trained a uh, Irish Setter, oh, and wow. then now I'm training. I'm supposed to train like three of them this year. Wow. You so what's yeah, funny? I don't see many Irish. Setters. Well, what's funny is people think that's what's very frustrating for me is whenever people think that. Uh, Hey, I want somebody to train my dog. They're like, oh, well, so-and-so is really good with French Britneys. If you're good, if you're good, you're good. You should be able to do anything. Uh, Can you specialize in something? Absolutely. But if you're a mechanic, you're not like, oh, well, I only work on Mercedes. You gotta gotta be versatile. You should still be able to like change a tire on a Ford or or on a Fiat or whatever. Right. Awesome. Uh, two more questions here. Uh, favorite bird species to hunt? And, sorry, tar- part two, what gun are you carrying in, out into the field? So, if you know me, I'm obsessed with shotguns. I I have a good array of yeah, shotguns, yeah, but you have, you have good no matter how, much, how many shotguns I have, I usually take the same two. I have a Browning Satori over and under. It's a 20-gauge, 28-gauge uh, gun, so it has the two barrels. I can't even remember the last time I even put the 20 gauge barrels on, hmm. but that's like my go-to gun. But I recommend everybody have at least one 
wood gun and one synthetic gun. Hmm. Uh, and the reason why I have this synthetic gun is because whenever conditions are absolute crack, Re- it's like, okay, yeah. I need one that I can just you beat can on. Sit I can, in the dirt. And, I can use yeah. as like a, a rowboat or like <laughs> if I need it, I got it. Yeah. Uh, Cause not every day is going to be simple. I mean, even on nice days, there's times where I'm like, you know what? Three shots sounds really good. Yes. Today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, plus also for me, the more species that I hunt, the more you learn like, Oh, well this one needs this. Cause you're not going to take a 10,000 or most people aren't going to take a sure. $10,000 Parker trucker hunting. <laughs> right. Whereas like, okay, I got this thousand dollar CZ. Like yeah. even that for some people's yeah. kind of Pushing a stretch. A bit, yeah. So, which brings up another point. Don't ever think because you shoot this or shoot that, like yeah. you're less adequate than somebody. The best shot I know, which is actually my neighbor, shoots when hunting wise, shoots a Mossberg pump, which is like a $150 gun. And I would pay $1,000 <laughs> cash on him yes. beating anybody. Amen. So don't think the gun, the, the paintbrush doesn't make the painting. The yeah. painter does. Yeah. Honestly, whatever gets you out there into the field with your dogs, that's whatever you use is great. So I like hunting anything, but if I had to pick like top 10, pheasants would be like 99th. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship really? with Really? Wow. No, I love pheasants, but man, they, there's not a bird that pisses me off more. <laughs> but I agree with that. They, if they can I, be frustrating. I don't know. If I had to pick a one and two, it'd either be sharptail or scaled quail. I just love... Oh, okay. Sharptail, they're just a lot of fun. I mean... Shooting's fairly simple, uh, really good dog work, but if you want to earn your keep, your keep and a dog's keep, scaled quail are just mini pheasants and cactus hell. Hmm. So That's awesome. All right, last question. This might not be a rapid one, but um, it's a good question. A couple of people asked me this online as well. I want to get your take. Now, you're seeing a lot of dogs. You've seen a lot of dogs over the years. You have a lot of personal ones. Um, when you are, when you're evaluating a dog, like what are some of the qualities that sets like a Baymax apart from a, an average dog? Like what are some of those characteristics you're seeing even as a pup and as they get older and develop? There's the toughest part is the best dogs are going. So my boss told me about this years and years. So I call him boss. Sometimes I call him mentor. <laughs> it's uh, Mark Pace. Sure. Uh, he told me about this years and years ago. The best dogs for hunting, for field trialing, for everything are always on the edge. Hmm. And what that means is for like field trials, it means like, hey, I need you to keep in a specified area. They're always going to be like, but I know there's some over there. Mm-hmm. Like, can kind I go pushing, there? Kind of pushing the boundaries. Yes. They're always pushing your buttons, which same with your kids. Like my boys being twins, once again, the whole litter mate thing is they, them being twins, everyone thinks that, oh, well, you guys should be clones of each other. They are completely mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. One of them will push the boundaries on every little thing. The other one, not so much. Hmm. One of them, you like even glare at him and he's in. Uh, the best dogs are going to push the boundaries. They're going to push this, that. And sometimes, and the reason why you let them do that is because sometimes they'll make a fool out of you. Hmm. We're like, no, you idiot. There's nothing over there. And then bam, they go on point. Hmm. You're like, dude, there better be a bird or sure. the fact that you, you blew me off <laughs> for like a good 20 seconds. Yeah. When I told you to turn, and I even did tone, I even did like a yeah. little nick, and you still did it, yeah. there better be a bird, and then voila, there's a covey. Sure. So it's like, okay, I should probably, sh- I should probably just shut up. So 
You have to learn whenever you make a command to a dog, especially like if you're hunting a field and a dog's getting close to a fence or like a road and you want to turn them, as long as you can see that there's no cars coming, then it's like, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt okay. for like another 10 so seconds or so. But then all of a sudden they'll go on point and you're like, okay, as long as there's no cars, like I'm like, I'll trust you. And you yeah. go over there and then boom, there's birds. Mm. It's like, I knew there'd be, especially whenever you hunt uh, certain areas r repeatedly, you learn that, okay, in this area, there's usually like three cubbies. I found two of them, where the heck's the third one? So you're sitting there and then they'll go way the heck over there and go on point and you're like, there should not be something over here and then voila. Yeah. So you have to be willing to, okay, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. Like, you're, you're putting trust I'm in them. Yeah, I'm gonna you talk to him on a retrieve. Mm -hmm. Gunner, uh, zip your lips or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So. That's things to where whenever you hunt him individually for three times, yeah. three, five times, to where you figure out his little cues like, okay, he doesn't range as far as Gage does. Yep. He he goes a little bit more slow. He's not as fast paced. He sure. does this, he does that. And then once you have him done, then also whenever I get closer to the end, depending on how he is individually, yeah. is my focus is him individually. If he's ahead of schedule, then I'll start putting him with Sven and Baymax and some okay. of my better dogs towards like, hey, see how they're hunting over here? Yeah. You go hunt over here. Gotcha. Whenever they go on point, you need a back. That way, whenever he goes with, uh, with Gage, Gage yeah. then he's like, oh, well, I remember this. It's yeah. just, now it's a dog that looks like me, but sure. now, now <laughs> right. I remember. So, That's good. Um, so no, the first couple times you'll need to learn his style. His style. Yeah. Because I, cause I, I picked him up in September, and so I, I haven't really hunted. I didn't hunt him at all last year. Yeah. He went on trips with me and all that, but so I'm really curious to, so, to get him No, that's actually and, really good that you did because it's like, hey, you're going to have to get used to road trips. You're going to have yeah. to get used to riding in the crate. Yeah. And, okay, we're going to have to do a hotel. We're going to have to sleep in the back of the truck. Yeah. You get to experience need. all these things that you're going to have to do on a, on a hunt. Well, and especially whenever, like for us, whenever the wives are sweet enough to hold down the fort for us, it's like... Okay, you have all the kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know you even more yes, with a puppy. That's very well so said. So it's like, you know what? I'll take the we got, puppy. We with got me. five kids, man. Bless your heart, a, a sweetheart. I love you. I'll take the dang puppy. So <laughs> it's dogs annoying. better be very well behaved. This is what happens when he comes home. From <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ba babies happen. <laughs> yeah, we we conceived right after I got home from a hunting trip. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah. You go so she well, she says no. She says that's why I'm not allowed. To <laughs> oh. Go on trips. So, um, uh, so it's funny. But no, you need to learn each individual dog. So even with me, for how many 16 dogs I have, is I have to hunt them individually to be like, okay, this is how you yeah. are. This is how you are. This is, And then you learn, like, okay, whenever I hunt them together, are they both going to be, for like year two, Gage and Gunner, are they going to be hunting the same way? Mm. Or is one going to be further than the other? Is one a sure. better retriever? Is one, are they both equally good? Yeah. Uh, if they're both equally good, then you need, then you have to figure out like, okay, as soon as Gage has it, Gunner, you need to get the heck oh, away. Yeah. Like yeah. no, no playing tug of war, no yeah. doing that. Yeah. And vice versa. Well, like Gage, Gage doesn't retrieve worth shit right now. <laughs> well, that's the thing is sometimes that's a good thing to where competition. Yeah. So okay. sometimes competition's good. And of course it's bad is say Gage isn't very good of a retriever. Sometimes whenever you add in the competition and Gunner keeps getting the birds, yeah. sometimes they're like, screw it. I didn't want to retrieve anyways. Yeah. That can be entirely his job, yeah. which if you're hunting together all the time, okay, no big deal. Yeah. Like perfect. That's Gunner's role. Uh, I, one of my best dogs was Sven's mom, Athena. Yeah. She was the most phenomenal dog all around. Uh, 
once again, her best scoring in uh, trials was the retrieving part. Mm. But if I had her with somebody else, she was like, that's for peasants. Wow. So she would f- go for, she'd find the bird, shoot and kill it. She let somebody else retrieve it. She, and before they even give it back to me, she was usually on point again. Huh. And it's like, you sneaky little girl. <laughs> Individually, she's an amazing retriever, but solo, or uh, but with his yeah. team, she's like, you can have that, and I'll just keep I'm finding not. birds. Yeah. So <laughs> she figured. So out. then uh, maybe with uh, with Gage and Gunner yeah. is he'll be like, Gunner's getting all the credit for me finding we'll the bird. So sometimes they're like, no, 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 like excuse me, I actually yeah. found the bird. Like let me retrieve the bird. Yeah. So hopefully that happens. Worst case. Uh, Worst case, when you hunt them together, cool. Gunner does Gunner. all the retrieving. My, my, my gut feeling is Gunner will do the retrieving. He, sh- he shows a lot. I mean, more than Gage did at this age, he's showing more drive and, and natural retrieve. Um, Gage, I force-fetched him last summer. Um, so bumpers, he's great. Fetching, holding, he's awesome. But wild birds, I didn't keep up with it in, this, in the season. And so kind of let that, that slip a little bit. No, but. So the tough part about wild birds is even with me, there's there's stuff for training. There's stuff for trialing and hunt testing. When it comes to wild birds, okay, especially when you're hunting birds that run a bunch of pheasants, yeah. uh, scale quail gambles, stuff like that, is a dog can't always stay steady. They need to shadow them. Sure. They need, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they need to, like, hey, stay right there. Yeah. Other times, like, okay, if the, dog, if the bird's running, you especially you when they kind of relocate a little bit. Yeah, too. they need to shadow the bird, like, okay, it's right here. It's right there, it's right, yep. and then just keep following it as they go to figure out what it is. But that's, once again, once I get done with Gunner, then I'm gonna train him to the hill, and then you can leave, you can keep him where he's at, or you can be like, well, you, whenever, essentially I'm giving him his GED, yeah. you're, you just mold it to your hunting style. Sure. Like, okay, well, Andy had him steady through fall, well, I only want him steady to shot, you can let him kind of slack off a little. Sure. If well, I want to keep it up, then I can keep it up. Bingo. Yeah. So gotcha. you just mold it to your hunting style. All I'm doing is giving you the basic car. Giving the foundation you, there. Yeah. You're it. putting, uh, you're changing rims and tires. You're putting decals yeah. on it. You're doing. Customize. <laughs> yeah. You're customizing it to you for your way. Yeah. Because it's it's your dog. Sure. It's how you hunt, not how I hunt. Yeah. I just gave you what he essentially needs. Yep. You just adapt it to you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Andy, I feel we could talk for hours. <laughs> we didn't even get into trials, but maybe we'll save that for, for another podcast. No, it's fine. Um, but this is awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Man. This is awesome. <laughs> All right. That is a wrap of episode 10. Thank you so much, Andy Taylor, for sitting down, talking training, bird dogs, all that good stuff. We love that uh, time with you. Thanks for your work with Gunner. Hey guys, listen up. Don't forget about the Dakota 283 giveaway. Go to my Instagram at uh, the Upland Rookie Podcast to find out the ways to enter. And again, I've talked about the bonus entries. Um, listen back um, past episodes, um, sharing your story, write it in, do a post a video on Instagram. Uh, each of those are worth five extra bonus entries. Just sharing your story of how you got started upland hunting. Have to make sure to tag the Upland Rookie Podcast if you post it on Instagram or 
or and use the hashtag the upland rookie podcast uh, the other way to get two extra entries is to leave a review and screenshot your review and message it to me um, that's worth two extra entries that's a review on apple Podcasts. so do those things do the extra entries it'll close the end of july so get started get after it craft your story take your time work through like how did you get started or why did you get started up in hunting i will read some of the best ones on the air so really looking forward to that hey make sure to share this episode or this podcast with a friend share it with someone brand new also share it with someone who's been doing it for years hopefully everyone can find value in it all right guys thanks so much for tuning in until next week if you're not fortunate enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, any bird dog is better than no bird dog go put some miles on those boots follow your favorite dog take care